Oh, I love being here in the morning. Yeah, it was raining when we woke up, but it was also Sunday, and it's a good day. Uh, and I already feel like this is what I love about church is it's there's so many different expressions of God working in our lives that collide in just even a small amount of time. We're praying, and, and there's some heavy moments of grief and loss that we're com bringing comfort to each other. And then we're also celebrating new life and beginnings and family, and these kids are so precious and so beautiful. And we get to come around families and say, we're here on this journey of you raising these children. We're, we're here too. They, they matter to us. And it, what, how, only God can do that. Only God can create such a, a diverse expression of his ministry in an hour and a half that we gather. And I believe that what's so unique is as we come together, you know, the Bible's very clear, where two or more are gathered in his name, that he's in, in our midst, that, that here's the presence of God here with us right now. This becomes sacred space. It's not just a service. It's not just a message. It's sacred space. It's sacred ground for God to meet with us individually. So wherever you are in your journey of faith, uh, you might be here and this might be your first time. It might be your first time in a long time even stepping foot in the doors of a church and this feels strange to you. Uh, or, or maybe you're here and you've been here and you could say, you know, I've lost count of how many times I've been at a Sunday morning service in my life. Regardless of where you are, I, I hope you know that God wants to speak to you that he wants to tend to your heart. He wants to reveal his deep love to you. And the greatest thing of all is that as we enter into the next few minutes that we have together and we unpack some of God's word this morning, he can actually take one message and make it something that's deeply personal and revolutionary for every single one of us. Again, only God could do that. You know, I think sometimes we're like, where's the miracle in today? There are a lot of miracles happening right now. And, and, and I believe as we end today, we're going to have an experience and a glimpse of the miraculous side of God as he speaks to each of us very deeply and very personally. But let's pray and let's, let's allow God to have his way with the time that we have. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're here, that you do fill this space, that what's going to take place in the next few minutes is not just Christian rhetoric or a put-together presentation. This is an opportunity for you to, by the power of your spirit and by the power of your words, speak to us in the ways that we need it and bring healing and hope and restoration in ways that we didn't even think were possible in our lives. But your, your unfailing love, it's this endless exploration for us, and there's always more to unpack and undiscover, and, and it changes us in the process. So as we lean into your love today, speak to us and transform us into who you created us to be. May we leave here with a deeper revelation of your love that, that in, in return shows us a little bit more of who we are and how we were meant to live in this world. Meet us here in this place, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I got to admit to you that I'm a little, I, I guess I, I'm having a little bit of a tension right now, and um, I'm wrestling a bit over whether or not I actually like social media. Anybody else? Like, anybody else have a love-hate relationship with social media? Like, I love social media sometimes. I really do. Like, it's, it's pretty amazing to think that I can stay connected to friends and family outside of the city. They don't, we don't live in the same state. We don't live in the same time zone. And yet I can see really cool moments of their life that a generation before us never had that opportunity. Like, it's pretty amazing. It's, 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 it's a really great tool of connection that sometimes I go, wow, 
I'm glad I'm living today. And it's also, let's be real fun. You know what I mean? Because like, it's a pastime almost. Like, oh, I'm a little bored. Let me pull out my phone and scroll. And it's informative and it's visually pleasing and it's exciting and it's fun. It's great. Some days I'm like, I love social media. This is really fun. And then other days I'm like, I hate social media, right? Because, uh, you know, it, it, it was supposed to be this place of connection, and sometimes it is, but it's supposed to be like your candid moments that, that cause authentic connection. But sometimes it feels more like just growing a personal brand or, or, you know, marketing for consumers today. And there's this like algorithm that you're a part of, and you're like, wait, I think I just said that out loud near my phone, and why am I getting all these ads now? And, 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 and then there's, there's the highlight real side of it, you know, that, that's really, that, that, that's very real, the highlight real. It's, it's a struggle. And, and sometimes I'm watching this going, ah, this is just perpetuating consumerism and greed and envy and insecurity and pride and ego and, ugh, you know, like, I, like that's it. I'm deleting my account, right? Like, I, 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 I struggle to make sense of my relationship with social media. And, and recently I came across this article that talked about one of the top genres of apps on the phone today. One of the top search genres is the selfie apps. Yes, the selfie apps is the most searched. It's one of the top search. And it's designed to essentially Photoshop our candidates. Apps like Airbrush advertise this. So you want a few blemishes cleared, your teeth widened, a few problem areas enhanced, and the perfect filter to show off that wild background? Take care of it all with airbrush. Or how about Facetune 2's claim? The tool that sets Facetune 2 apart from other free selfie editing apps is its live editing features, which automatically detects facial features, allowing you to change the shape of your eyes, lips, and nose while using the app camera. After you take your selfie, you can change the curve of your smile, the size of your jaw, the width of your face, resize features, use filters, and more. Really? You know, like really, I mean, Listen, I, 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 am, I am not anti-taking time to, to, to capture a moment and make it look good, you know, and I don't think that filters are necessarily the enemy here, but with all the, uh, you know, photoshopping and editing and correcting and enhancing, how much of the photo is actually us anymore, right? And where does it end? I mean, it's one thing to go through social media filtering our, our, our existence. It's another thing when it goes beyond here into our real lives. You know, driven by the need to be accepted and applauded, to be liked and appreciated, we're willing to alter our appearance, our personality, our beliefs, our convictions. We'll start to aspire to certain milestones in our life. We'll start to hang out with certain crowds of people. We'll start to dress a certain way. We'll start to laugh at certain jokes. We'll start to aspire to be like certain people and inspire ourselves with certain kinds of dreams, all in an effort not just to make a best selfie, but the best self. The problem with filtering our way through our existence in a ploy to be liked and accepted is that, come on, let's be real, it's exhausting. It's exhausting because it's a task that never has an end. You never know whether or not you've arrived. You, you keep going back to doing the same things, accomplishing great moments of your life, uh, looking good, getting enough likes, but still inwardly going, what do you think of me? Do you respect me? Do you admire my choices? Do you really want me to be around? <laughs> did, did, did you like the way I handled that situation? Did, did you like the way I did that presentation? The list goes on and on and on. 
And after a while, we begin to filter our honesty and vulnerability. So we begin to think things like, well, I couldn't really let people know that I'm struggling with this because if I did, well, then they would look at me differently. I, I couldn't possibly let people know that this is what's really going on in my marriage or my finances or my health or that happened in my past or that's currently what I'm doing because if I did, they would treat me differently. I, I can show parts of me to the world, but only the ones of my choosing. There are some parts that are better left hidden. Now, now this survival instinct to hide and cover up, to filter and mask is not a new one for humanity. It, it didn't come around with the invention of social media. In fact, from very close to the beginning of humanity, this survival instinct existed. At the very beginning, in Genesis, we see that God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and man, did they have it good. They lived in paradise, absolute paradise. They were in complete harmony with each other. They lived in perfect peace. They were experiencing absolute joy. They were walking with God in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says that they were naked when they did this, which is interesting to say the least. It's a little bit scandalous, even a bit funny. But once we can get past the middle school giggles, we understand that there is a beautiful picture that God is painting about how he intended humanity to live in a filter-free existence. One where you can be completely yourself and completely loved. Completely honest and completely accepted. God never designed us to live in hiding. He created us to live perfectly in his perfect love. But then, we know the story. Sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And we're about to read how their story unfolds in Genesis chapter 3. But I hope we can understand it's not just their story that unfolds, but it's ours as well. I'm going to read from the message translation because I think it really unpacks the story in a unique way. Why don't you join on the screens. I think we're going to have it here to read together. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? It's always a good question for God to ask. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Hmm, so it started even way back when, okay. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel to the woman. He said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He made garments for them. And the Lord God said, the man must now become, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flashing sword, or flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve sin and suddenly they feel the urge to cover up and hide. Sin entered the picture, and with it came a brand new experience for humanity, one that up until this moment, Adam and Eve had never known, shame. And from this moment on, all of humanity has had to deal with the same thing. When sin entered the picture, it became a human issue. Same goes for shame. None of us are exempt. Now, what's really interesting about shame is that shame goes a bit further than just telling us that we did wrong or that someone else did wrong. It tells us we're wrong, that there's something deeply wrong with us. It comes in a number of different forms, but every single one of us at some point in our lives will think something like this. There's a wide range of shame-induced thoughts that we can think. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not man enough. I'm too ugly. I'm too fat. I'm too messed up. I'm too dysfunctional. I'm too complicated. I'm too shy. I'm too weak. I'm too strong. I'll never make my dad proud. I'll, I'll, I'll never be as good as this person. I'll never be able to accomplish this. I will always struggle with this. I will always let people down. I will always be let down by people. The list goes on and on and on. And just like Adam and Eve hid and found a way to cover up, we do the same. Except we've elevated from fig leaves. Now our masks just look a little bit different. For some of us, it looks like being the responsible one. For some of us, it looks like having our act together. For some of us, it looks like being the most attractive person in the room. For some of us, it looks like being the overachiever. For some of us, it looks like being the perfectionist. For some of us, it looks like acting like we don't care about anyone or anything. For some of us, it looks like being the, the person who's chasing down that dream. For some of us, it looks like the one who gets the girl. For some of us, it looks like getting that person to notice us. For some of us, it looks like being the rebel. For some of us, it looks like being the boss. For some of us, it looks like being the bully. 
For some of us, it looks like making everybody else happy. For some of us, it looks like making everybody else laugh. We wear the masks that best suit us. And we go about our days, and we have decent lives, and we pay our bills, and we accomplish the things that we feel are important, and we show up to the dinner table, and we show up to community group, and we show up to church, and we show up for our family, and we might be decent people, considered good people even, successful people, but inwardly, here and here, we're hoping nobody sees through the filters we've placed over our lives because they'll discover what we believe to be true, that in some way or another, we don't exactly measure up. Adam and Eve experienced shame, and immediately they hid and they covered up. And that could have been the end of their story, a life of covering up, a life of hiding. It could have been. But God in his goodness found them. In their own shame-induced game of hide-and-seek, God found them. In the biggest messed-up moment of their life, God found them. God wasn't content to leave them in their shame, and God isn't content to leave us in ours either. God did something extraordinary for Adam and Eve in the garden. Yes, they lost paradise. Yes, their life was about to be harder than they could have ever imagined it would be. But God covered them. He replaced their insufficient filters with a covering that he made for them. And in doing so, he foreshadowed what Jesus Christ would one day do for all humanity. Listen to what Galatians says. In Galatians 3, 26 through 28, the Passion Translation says, you have all become true children of God by the faith of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one, and now you are covered and clothed with his anointing. Many translations say with his righteousness. And we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we've all we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ with no distinction between us. Jesus offers us something far more superior to clothing. Jesus covers our shame with his righteousness. You see, on the cross at Calgary, Jesus didn't just die on the cross to atone for our sins. He also died on the cross to cover our shame. In fact, in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesies of what Jesus will one day do for us when it comes to this issue of shame. And in Isaiah 61, 7, he prophesies this. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Friends, only Jesus can cover our shame. Only Jesus can break the power of shame in our lives. Only Jesus can bring us to a place where we're willing to lay down our filters, lay down our masks, be completely ourselves, and be unafraid and unashamed. Only Jesus. As somebody who has been on quite a journey of overcoming her own shame, 
can I encourage you? Friend, you will never get enough achievements and awards and accomplishments and promotions in your life to tell you that you are good enough. Only Jesus can cover that shame. Men in this room, you will never get a hot enough girlfriend or a smoking enough wife to prove that you are man enough. Only the affirmation of your heavenly father can do that. Only Jesus can cover that shame. You will never be the right weight or the right look or have the right style to know that you are good enough. Only Jesus can do that. Only his love can cover that shame. You'll never get enough likes. You'll never get enough followers to tell you that you've made it, that you are now worthy of love. Only the unfailing and unrelenting grace of God can do that for you. Only Jesus can cover that shame. We can go our whole lives chasing the latest trends, the latest styles, the latest aspirations, moving from one goal and one dream to another, one relationship, one achievement to another. But truly, friends, only Jesus can break us free from the power of shame. Last year, I was traveling and uh, I had some downtime, and so I decided to watch a movie. And I watched the movie Wonder. I don't know if any of you have seen this movie, mm -hmm. uh, based on a novel by the same name. I didn't know much about Wonder, and I should have I should have been given a warning. That's not something you watch in a very public place. <laughs> um, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's a really brilliant one, and it tells the story of Augie. Augie is about to enter into his fifth grade year. Augie was born with facial differences, and he had gone through dozens and dozens of surgeries. But even now, as a fifth grader, he just doesn't look like anybody else. And he would go in public with his family and people would look the other way, or they'd gasp, or they'd whisper. Little babies would cry when they looked at him. And so his whole life he'd been homeschooled, and it was a decision that the family made to protect him to some degree. Uh, but he was about to enter fifth grade, and they made a decision that at some point he needs to enter the real world and know how to be brave and figure out life. And so they put him in public school, and he's resistant. He doesn't want to go. And it's a really hard year for him. There's a lot of ups and downs. He has to figure out who he is. He has to learn how to be brave. He has to sort through what are real friendships and one art. He has to deal with a, an immense amount of bullying. And there's some days that are really hard for him. And on those days, he'd come home and immediately he would look for his most prized possession. It was an astronaut helmet. He was into space. He loved space. And so a friend uh, for Christmas gave him this astronaut helmet. But the real reason he loved it is because on the really bad days, he could just put the helmet on and he could go out in public and nobody stared at him. They just thought he was another ordinary kid playing pretend. But one particular day, he goes home, he's immediately running, searching for his astronaut helmet, and it can't be found. It sends the whole family in chaos. They're all looking for the helmet, and it's gone missing. Now, fast forward to the end of the school year. Those of us who, who uh, watch the movie, we know that he's overcome a lot by the end of the year. Oh, he's the true hero of the story. He's brave, he's bold, he's compassionate, he's generous. He has a quiet, strong strength about him. And, and it gets to his graduation day. And his dad's helping him fix his tie. And his dad says to him, hey, Augie, I got to tell you something, but I don't want you to be mad at me. And he goes, what? 
And he said, you, you know your helmet? He's like, yeah. He's like, it's been in my office. And immediately, Augie gets so mad. What? Why would you do that? That's my most favorite thing in the world. And he said, I know, I know. It's just you were wearing it so often. And I know you don't always like your face. But I'm your father. And I love your face. And I miss seeing my son's face. And then he says, will you forgive me? And Augie says, no. And then he says, yes. And they hug. And it's that moment of the movie. I'm sitting on the plane and I've lost it. I am a wreck, you know? People are like, are you okay? I'm like, don't look at me. You know, just, it's just happening. Because it's so encompassed the heart of God. Isn't that like our Heavenly Father? To say, I know you prefer to wear your masks. I know you prefer to wear the filters. I know all the thoughts. I know every thought of your heart. I know sometimes you don't like what you see. But I'm your father, and I love what I see. So would you trust me enough to lay down the masks, to lay down the filters, and to let me bring healing to those places of shame? Let a father's love bring healing in a way that you've never experienced before. God met Adam and Eve in the garden because he wasn't content to leave them in their shame. In fact, God asked them a question that I believe that the Spirit of God is asking each of us here in this place this morning as well. Who told you you were naked? Who told you? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you you were undeserving of good things? Who told you you weren't worth it? Who told you you were a failure? Who told you you were a mess up? Who told you you were a phony? Whose words are you building your self-worth on? Some of you know part of my story, but I grew up in a home where I had a really hard relationship and a difficult relationship with my dad, especially into my teen years and my early 20s. My dad was an alcoholic for the first chunk of my childhood, and it caused a lot of dysfunction and a lot of pain in our home. I love my dad, I always loved my dad, but by the time I was a teenager, I was angry at the dysfunction. I was angry at the choices he'd made. I, I was resentful. And we started to engage in a lot of fights in those years. And I remember one fight in particular when I was 16. And I should say that God has brought tremendous healing to our relationship now. And it's a really strong one. God's good. It was a long game of reconciliation, but he does restore all things. But when I was 16, I remember one conversation in particular, one really heated argument happening in our kitchen. And I was, I'm sure, being disrespectful. I, I know, I was a teenager, I'm sure. And, uh, and I said something to him, and he looked right at me in complete anger. He didn't yell, it was actually this quiet but very sure statement. He said, you are too strong-willed, and I feel sorry for the man you marry. And I remember leaving that conversation and I thought to myself, I'm never going to let my dad know that that stung. I act like it didn't care. I went about my life, I'm never going to think about it again. But that night when I tried to go to sleep, that's all I could keep replaying in my head. And I'll tell you what, for the next 15 years of my life, I really believed that there was something wrong with me. I believed I was too strong. I believed that there was something off-putting about me. That there was something that made loving me difficult. And it wasn't until 
in my early 30s, when I began to really open some of those very hidden and secluded places of my heart to the healing love of Jesus Christ, that in a very similar way, I felt the Spirit of God say to me, I want to go there. You've been hiding it, but let's go there. Who told you you were too strong? Who told you you were too much? Who told you it would be difficult to love you? Who said these things? And he began to show me that I was building my self-worth on careless words spoken in the heat of a moment. And I had a choice to make. Would I build my life on the truth of what God says about me or on the truth of careless words? And I began to study for myself and open my heart to the reality that God has something very different to say about me. Something that is way more exciting, by the way, and fulfilling and empowering and liberating and healing. That I am a child of God. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That I'm the apple of his eye. So let me ask you again, as someone who understands shame and the power of it in our lives. Who told you? What parent, what teacher, what coach, what stranger, what boss, what ex, what YouTube video, what billboard, what magazine cover, what regret, what trauma, what abuse, what mistake, what subtle or blatant insecurity is telling you that you need to hide. It's telling you that you aren't good enough. It's telling you that you aren't deserving of the full measure of God's grace that liberates and sets free. Perhaps this morning it's time to let the Spirit of God speak to us and draw us out from those places of hiding to enter into his wide open spaces of love. I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment, but before I do, I, I want to leave you with a couple things that you could do this week to continue this journey of coming out of hiding into the wide open spaces of God's love. Because there are moments that forever heal and forever change us, and then there's the journey of walking out those moments so today, there might be absolute healing for you in this place, but I want you to be able to live in that healing and walk it out Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and three months from now and a year from now. So I want to equip you. Here's a couple things that really helped me and continue to help me on this journey because I, like you, still encounter moments where I go, I was hiding. And let's bring healing to that shame. There's a couple questions that you can reflect on and pray about this week. Find some, some alone time, even if you have to really fight for it, to pray and reflect and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you as you make this space. The first question is this. What is one shame-filled thought I currently struggle with, and what does God have to say about this thought? The second question is this. What would I need to do to become more unfiltered with God and with others? Like, what can I begin to practice this week to cultivate greater authenticity and honesty in my faith and my relationships? 
Because what I've experienced personally is that when I try to filter things and keep things even hidden from God, it means I'm definitely doing it with people. <laughs> so what would it look like to trust God in his ways enough to open myself up to the support and love that I was created for? Some of you might want to take a photo of those or jot them down. While you do, I'm going to invite uh, one of our, our team, Ian, to come up. And I wanted us to end a little bit on a different note here than perhaps normal. For a while, people have been telling me about this thing called the Enneagram for months, for a long time. They've been saying, and for those of you who are familiar with it, it's a personality testing, you know, and we're all familiar with those, right? At least the BuzzFeed ones, at least, you know, but some of us more than that. And um, yeah, what Disney princess are you? It's very um, revealing. Um, but there's all kinds of different personality tests, and everybody's been, and I've done quite a few over the years, and everybody's been telling me, you got to check out this one. This one, man, it's different than the rest. It's so exciting. It, like, it's like they know you and all this stuff. And I'm kind of skeptical. I'm like, uh, if you've done one, haven't you done them all? Like, I don't know. Like, um, so I put it off. And I, I did really, because everybody was talking about it, it almost like made me want to not do it. Anybody willing to admit that? Like, there's not a really great reason, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it then. All the cool kids are. I'm way cool, so I don't do it, you know, whatever. So I did it. I finally did it because I said I would. I got around to it. I took the test, and yeah, it was all right, you know. I don't know if it was like mind-blowing for me, but it's like another personality test. But then somebody else told me after I said, yeah, I finally took the test. They said, oh, you've got to listen to this song. And I said, what are you talking about? And apparently there's an artist who did a whole album, and every song is dedicated to one of the different personality types. And I got to tell you, when I heard that, I went right back to my hating. Inside, I was like, oh, that's a little cheesy. Like, you know? And like, how could somebody possibly know all the personality types? I'm like, this guy, he's smart, because he's like, Enneagram's doing well, I'm gonna make an album. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm, I was like, marketing genius, but I don't know. Like, this is where my brain goes, right? Of course, I don't say this, because you're trying to be polite. You're like, that's so cool, I'm gonna check it out, you know? Send me the link. And so I'm like, no, I don't realize this. So this, this week, though, I have no idea why, but this week in particular, while I'm preparing this message, God's funny that way, uh, I was like, I'm going to listen to that song. I'll have a good laugh over it. Like, it'll be fine. And I, and I started to listen. And four minutes later, I'm bawling in my bed. <laughs> the Spirit of God is speaking to me. One, I'm repenting from my hate-ism, but uh, also, not a word, I don't know. Um, but also just the Spirit of God really spoke to me because I realized how much of that song was about shame. And so Ian is going to sing this song. And maybe you'll cry, maybe you won't. It's not really about that. But I pray that you would just make space in the next couple of minutes of this song to let the Spirit of God speak to you, to really reflect on this message and let God speak to perhaps some of those places where shame has been calling the shots to bring his healing and his hope and his restoration and so we're going to have the lyrics available as well, not to sing along to you, but just so you can really take in the words of this song. And again, let the Spirit of God minister to you. And then I'll come up afterwards and pray. But Ian, I'll let you take over.